Once again, let us name what is on probably each and every one of our hearts this morning. That there was another shooting in yet another church in Alabama, St. Stephen's Episcopal Church this week, where three people died. I understand and I experience deep within my heart the brokenness in which we find ourselves and the violence, the cycle of violence in which we find ourselves this day as well. And so I would just ask you as people of faith, let us continue not only to offer our prayers of support and care for those who lost their lives, for their families, for their friends and community, for the bishops and the priests of the Diocese of Alabama, for the rector of St. Stephen's Church, but for each and every one of us that in this moment in time, right here, right now, you and I will find our voices once again to act on behalf of those who need and deserve in this country sensible gun laws. So please join me in action and in witness of the love of God in Jesus Christ so that all people, every single person beloved by God, will have the protections and at least the assurances of protections that they so need and deserve. And on this day, this day of Juneteenth, now a federal holiday, let us also be aware of the responsibility for those of us to continue to work against the sin of racism in this country and in every country. That we who remember this day, the day in 1865 when the slaves in Galveston, Texas, learned of their freedom over two years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed. People have waited long enough for freedom. Let you and I be witnesses. Let us demand the kind of inclusive justice for all of God's beloveds everywhere. And let those of us who carry the responsibility of such enslaved history continue to act on behalf of our brothers and sisters who have not received the privileges and the, dis the respect that they deserve and the rights still waiting for them, even in this day and time. So let us, as people of faith, be bold in that faith, act, love, include, and vote, so that things in this country will change. Today, the second Sunday after Pentecost, we are confronted by a powerful gospel text. I say confronted for two reasons. First, we encounter a man who has lived among the tombs for a very long time. In doing so, he has lost his identity, his name, his dignity, his family, and his community. He speaks a name that in some ways only mimics his disease, Legion. Second, at some level, we know him. We see him or her nearly every day of our lives. And perhaps we look away. Perhaps we turn our heads. 
Like the community around Legion, we don't know their names either. Like Legion, they too are entombed and burdened by illness, societal neglect, disrespect, if not downright judgment and disregard. Dead, really, to any sense of what real living might mean. For years we are told in the text that he has haunted the tombs, the living being dwelling in the places of the dead. He wanders the tombs, naked, alone, rejected, feared, ashamed, forgotten, and I am sure terrified. And the truth is that he is still a person made in the image and likeness of God. Once, I imagine, he might have known what love and compassion, dignity, and respect look like. Once, he might have known his name and was proud of it. Once, he knew, I hope, what compassion and real hope look like. But today, we meet him in the only home he has known for a very long time, the tombs. No place for the living. All week long, immersed in the scripture, I continue to hear the verses of Psalm 139 echoing in my consciousness. Where can I go then from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make the grave my bed, you are there also. I have found great personal comfort over many, many years in those words from Psalm 139, and placing them in dialogue with the gospel text before us this day sets the context for me, not only for interpreting this story, but for truly experiencing it as well. We are told in the very first phrase, in the very first sentence, that Jesus and the disciples arrive in the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite to Galilee, an important fact. This is Gentile country, outside Jesus' own community and people, and so right off the bat, we know something about Jesus' life and mission and message. Jesus leads his disciples where no one, no insider, no Jew, no self-respecting person would have ever traveled. These are all outcasts, and outsiders. These are not our kind of people. And Jesus immediately encounters the most outcast of all the outcasts, one who is not even a part of his own community any longer. He has nothing and no one who cares about him. So he haunts the tombs, barely living among the dead. The townspeople are happy to have him there at a safe distance. And then Jesus shows up in the place of the tombs, the place of the dead. In that moment, everything changes. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. And I imagine in that moment, Jesus continued to walk toward the man, closer and closer to the man. 
And with love in his voice, he asks, what is your name? What is your name, Jesus asks. Who are you truly? An inquiry rooted in love and compassion, healing and hope, and the promise of restoration and resurrection that was to come. As we experience in our own lives, has there ever been a time in your life when you made the grave your bed? Has there ever been a time in your life where you forgot your name or your belovedness or your identity and spiraled into a place of darkness? Who met you there? Who waited and walked alongside of you until you remembered who you are as a beloved child of God? Who dared ask the question, what is your name? when you forgot not only who you are, but whose you are as well. The thing about Jesus for people of faith is that Jesus shows up in all the wrong places in which we find ourselves barely eking out a life. Half-hearted living, as though we believe ourselves to be entirely unworthy of hope and healing, let alone love and loving or restoration, and absolutely unworthy of resurrection. Like Legion, when we make the tombs our dwelling places, when we live in the valley of the shadow of death, this resurrected one meets us where we are and delivers us from evil and death over and over and over again. Transformation of the likes we see in the gospel text this morning are terrifying, aren't they? So often we cling to what we know. We accommodate the demons or the judgments that have been long heaped upon us and eventually the ones that hold us hostage. But this gospel story is not only told by Luke, it is also told by Matthew and Mark. So we must ask ourselves, what is it about this story that is claimed by all three gospel writers? What is the message of good news at the heart of this story? And what is the good news you and I must hear right now, take to heart, and then proclaim to others? Like us, the one who is healed wishes to stay with Jesus and follow him wherever he travels. And Jesus instructs him to stay. Stay and proclaim what healing and hope, freedom and a future life is because of Jesus. Tell that good news. Inspire others to embrace the good news in their own lives, filled with new hope and new healing. One commentator I read this week said this, when we have become comfortable with the way things are, when we have made peace with death-dealing in our politics, our faith, in our culture, it is precisely then that Jesus offers us healing, hope, wholeness, and courage. But do we really want to be healed? Do we? Fear so often holds us back and paralyzes us. 
healing and wholeness, redemption and resurrection are terrifying because they mean a different way of life, a different way of being, acting, deciding, living, witnessing. There is a boldness about this message of Jesus' inclusive resurrection love. And as a church, we must ask ourselves, what demons torment us that we have allowed a false narrative to become powerful and controlling of that which never seeks after the truth, a truth that seeks the common good as its basis for healing, a truth that has the capacity to set us all free, not some, not just the ones like us, all free. That kind of truth that speaks truth to power and to the paralyzing impact of fear. The kind of truth that stands up to power. The kind of truth that enters into a voting booth and votes a way of love, a way of inclusion. Are you ready and willing to proclaim the truth that is included in this gospel text? The truth of Jesus Christ and the power of a resurrection faith. The truth that the divine meets us where we find ourselves right here, right now. The kind of truth that demands our own action, our own changes, and the transformation of the life of this world and this country. The truth that casts light on a way of love. The truth that Jesus proclaims, that everyone is made in the image and likeness of God that we must labor in the vineyard for the sake of all God's beloveds, that not one human being is unwelcome in the kingdom of God. In class this morning, someone said, we will never look into the eyes of another who is not a beloved child of God. And that's the standard by which we must live our lives. Like Paul in his letter to the Galatians before us today, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave and free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. May Paul's prodding burst us out of the tombs of terror and the closets of complacency. And may we boldly proclaim that love sets us all free and makes of our lives a witness to the truth that is the truth of Jesus Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Amen.